Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by TBA rabbinic intern Nico Losarelli. I've titled this uh, the Shur Step by Step. And why, why Step by Step? So we're moving from a world right now of the general in the story of Noah, the story of Noah, to the world of the specific, the world of Avram, which is a move that we are constantly called to do at every moment, living in both Jewish and non-Jewish worlds, right? And we seem to be, perform- be performing the shift at an exhausting, exhausting rate at the moment, balancing the views of narratives outside the Jewish world and the views and narratives within the Jewish world. The word world is daunting, too, because how can any individual make an impact on the world or a world. It may seem like the weight of what is going on lies on our shoulders, our individual shoulders. I think that's what a lot of us are feeling right now. We were just speaking, a couple of us were speaking earlier about just feeling helpless as to what is it is that we can do in this moment. And I really imagine, as we're moving into Parashat Lech Lecha, um, that this is how Avram, then Avram, before he became Avraham, felt. So let's look at this first verse here, uh, Genesis 12.1. This is where Lech Lecha comes from. Vayomach Hashem el Avram, Lech Lecha me'artzecha, u'mimoladecha, u'mibet avicha, el ha'aretz asher arecha. God said to Avram, go forth from your native land and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, that's pretty big, right? Leave your native land, Leave your father's house to a land that I will show you. That's a lot. It's a lot to ask of a person. I would like to hear just a couple of reflections on what what are the what is this what what's at stake here for Avram? What are what does this shift mean? And is this even a reasonable thing to ask a person to do? Anybody has any ideas right off the top of their head? Yeah, Paul. Yeah, so he's been asking you to go from something he doesn't know to something he has no idea of, which is very scary. Yeah. The idea of one God. So we're saying that he... Like created Jewish people, what Right. Yeah, so we're saying that he, that Avram went out an and... March. He was an organizing march. He was an organizer, which is, uh, there's a lot of organizing going on right now. Yeah, he's uh, going on a march with so many people in tow. And uh, I think I saw, I'm going to come back over here. I saw some hands on this side of the room. Yes, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we're saying here that, uh, that Avram's really being asked to take a leap of faith, right? He, he's got to just go. He's being asked to do all these things without any idea of where he's going, which is, I don't know. I don't know about even myself or anybody in this room, but I think if somebody said, <laughs> I think if somebody said right now, leave rabbinical school. Leave your parents, leave Pico Robertson, and go somewhere that you'll like find out about a little bit later. I'd be like, oh, I don't know about that. Let's. I have a couple of questions for you. <laughs> um, I think I had, yeah, right over here. All right. So we're picking up on this threefold ask of leaving not only your land, but even more importantly, the place where you were born. And not only the place where you were born, but surely that's where everything you've ever known is, but your father's house. You know, it's one thing for an entire family to leave together. It's another thing to say, I'm going to leave my, my family behind. He, he takes a ton of people with him, but he, he, he leaves his, his father's 
house to go along this journey, whether we think it's along the Euphrates or whether we think it's by some other circuit. You know, it's really, I think scholars think it's sort of the up and down over through the Fertile Crescent. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's huge, a huge step into the unknown here. Absolutely. So it's a big ask for vulnerability, which takes a lot of courage, a lot of a leap of faith, as we heard mentioned. Um, you know, it's not easy to be vulnerable. Um, really, I don't think it's ever really been easy to be vulnerable as a human being who has responsibilities and hopes and dreams and a vision for their future. You know, I think at this moment, I can't imagine that Avram ever saw this as part of his future, right? How, how could he have? You know, I'm sure he thought that, you know, I was born in Rokhastim. I, 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 I grew up here. You know, I know the streets. I know the alleys. I know the stores. I know the schools, if there were, you know, schools. I know the people. Um, and it takes a lot, it takes a lot of vulnerability to say, all right, I'm going to leave that behind. It's huge. So I want to take us forward to our next source on the page, which is from uh, Bereshit Rabbah. Uh, as you can see, I gave you the information on the page, but I'm just going to read it out loud here. Um, so it was composed around 500 CE uh, in Talmudic Israel and Babylon. It's a Talmudic era midrash on the book of Genesis, on the book of Bereshit. It covers most of the book, excluding genealogies and similar passages, uh, with verse-by-verse verse and often word-by-word word commentary. And it's written in Hebrew, mixed with Aramaic, and occasional Greek words. So um, the great thing about, about these midrashic works is they, they sort of do a lot of big-picture analysis, and then they do, like, you know, they zoom in a bit, and then they go down to even, like, what a word can mean, which just shows how much richness there is to a single pasuk. I mean, we just had a 10-minute conversation about this one pasuk, and... We could have a, we could have a three-hour, four-hour. We could write a book on this one pasuk, and it's been done. So, all right. So let's move forward to this next source. If I can get uh, a volunteer who is comfortable speaking into a microphone um, to read it, that would be great. Let me just take this mic down if I can manage it. There's nobody on Zoom right now. Yeah. Well, it's going to be for the recording. So. Great. I'm not so sure that mic is on, so I'm just going to read it one more time, and then we'll we'll use this mic. Thank you for reading. You read beautifully. I'll just read it one more time for for listeners at home. Um, so we just quoted our 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 pasuk. The Lord said to Abraham, "Go you from your land, from your birthplace, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you." Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak said, "This is analogous to one who was passing from place to place and saw a place uh, saw a building with a candle burning in it." And he said, is it possible that this building has no one in charge of it? The owner of the building looked out at him and said, I am the owner of the building. So because Abraham, our patriarch, was saying, is it possible that this world is without someone in charge? The Holy Blessed One be him, be he, it's, it's gendered translation, sorry, I, I had worked on that, um, looked at him and said to him, I am the owner of the world. The king will desire your beauty as he is your master. So that's Psalms to show your beauty in the world and bow to him, also Psalms. That is the Lord, that is the Lord said to Abraham. So what do we think is going on here in this particular midrash, this particular moment? Ram's walking around, he sees this building, he sees a candle inside of it burning, and he says, um, is it possible that this building has no one in charge of it? What, what do you think he's thinking? What do, you, what do, you, what do we think the midrash, midrashist, which is the one who makes midrash, is trying to convey here? <laughs> Getting head shakes. No? That nobody lives there. That nobody lives there. Okay. 
Great. Can you say more about that? Okay, sure. No, thank you. I feel like... Yeah, Bob, go ahead. That's a good point. So Bob is, has, has sort of honed in on the fact that Abraham or Avram in this moment has been... No, Abraham in this moment has been chosen. He he saw a building. He saw a candle inside of it. He saw, he saw something's happening. So if he asked... Who is the owner of this house? It must mean that there was nobody around, right? There's no one around. The house was empty, but yet there was a candle. He noticed that something was happening, right? Someone must have lit this candle. So what does it mean? What does it mean for Abraham, for uh, Abraham Avinu to notice this? What does it mean to notice these, these sort of small things in the world? Yeah, Bobby. Right. No, I mean, I think that's, look, there are no wrong answers. There are no wrong answers. Bobby's saying that, uh, that he's noticing that there's something going on here, right? He's noticing that there's some divine force in the world and he's on the path to discovering or maybe asking what that is. That is a really beautiful connection. So um, we're saying that Abraham noticed, there was an element of fire here, right? And Abraham noticed that it was happening and it, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, like you said, walked by it and didn't notice. It's interesting because it's a kind of a, it's a prelude to Moshe. This is, you know, as as the midrash like imagines the story, this would be a prelude to that moment. But no doubt, it drew on that noticing a flame and turning a, turning aside. Right, that's how it's often translated. And having like a curiosity, having a sort of a just a wonder about it. Yeah, great. I can I feel like you're cooking up a thought. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <babe>. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So so he is almost incredulous at the idea that like, you know, there's no way that, that nobody could not a lot of negatives in there that, that no one owns this building. Right. Um, I, I want to just cue in on a word here. Um, in the Hebrew, it says Baal Habira, which means the owner of actually means like castle. Bira is often translated as castle. And here it just translated, uh, translates as building. And I wonder Wonder what that what that means for us. How does that how does that hit us a little bit differently? What's castle versus a building? You know, someone owns the castle. Yeah, right. Who? How could there be this castle and no one? And there's a candle, but there's no one around. Who? Where's the owner of it? No one just leaves a castle unattended, right? Yeah. So the status of someone living in a castle, um, which is interest, interesting to think of. You know, who who is that? Could be a queen. Could be a king. Could be a prince. And we have a lot of this, uh, you know, monarchical language, Hamelech, right? The king in our in our liturgy, and we, you know, Elul is is not so far away in our rearview mirror, and we have this whole idea of the king being in the field. Now the king is well, maybe there's a king in the castle. There's a candle there. There must be something going on, um, which also makes me think the castle. I'm almost imagining like a high room, you know. Like his his feet aren't just on the path. His feet aren't just on the ground. We're thinking a lot about the path, which I love, which is beautiful. But I've looked at this midrash several times, and I've never really thought of him like necessarily raising his eyes to a high up building. I always imagine it at, at sort of floor level. But I wonder if there's an element of not only is Avram or Abraham on on this path, um, noticing the path in front of him and taking steps, but he's really taking in the whole world. You know, not, it's not just about his journey. It's about the journey that's happening around him. And, um, 
I think these past two weeks have been, I mean, there's, there's a lot to express with no words to express them in, you know, to quote my friend and colleague, Jared Scoff, um, Martha Ziegler student. But I think that speaking for myself and let me know if this resonates with you, that in moments where complete strangers have noticed that something's going on, have said a word of comfort has those moments have made a huge difference. Even on the, on the way here, I was, you know, I was just low energy and like, not sure if I was going to mess something up in the service or if I was going to grab the wrong Torah scroll, you know, all these things we think about. And there was this, just this guy out on the street and I just sort of like waved at him and he waved at me and he very, like very lovingly said, he's like, no, I hope you're doing okay right now. I was like, Thank you so much. Thank you so much for saying that. Just this complete stranger. Um, and it's, it's those moments where you feel like, ah, I'm not by myself, right? There are people who are noticing. And I think that, uh, that Avram, Avraham is noticing, is noticing God, right? Is noticing the God of that building just as in those moments we're noticing the divinity in one another, right? It's, it's, it's some of those little moments we never really know how, how it is we're going to make an impact on somebody's day or, or life. But those moments have the p- capacity to really shift our, our perspective, shift our experience in a really powerful way. And there are moments in each and every person's life in this room where you have shifted somebody's day, you have shifted somebody's week, you may have even shifted someone's life by noticing something that someone else wasn't noticing. And there's a holiness to that, right? There's a beauty to that. And Sometimes it's so small. Sometimes it's just a, a flame on a candle. But if we're looking, if we're taking our eyes off of our own path and we're looking around, we then may be able to see that flickering light and say, huh, I wonder what's, wonder what's going on there. Maybe I should investigate that. Maybe I should say something. So let's move on to the, uh, the next Midrash here. And uh, for the sake of not passing the mic around, I'm going to read it in English. Yeah. So, we're, so thank you. We just investigated the... Uh, the the sort of proof text that was brought here, roughly translated as uh, take heed, last, incline your ear, um, essentially listen, listen up and, and notice. Is that a fair? Yeah, fa- take, take heed, last, and note. And note. Incline your ear. Mm-hmm. Forget your people. Forget your people. Same thing like Abraham, yeah. right? And your father's house. And your father's house. That's, there you go. That's a really good proof text. Good job. Good job, Midrash. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, Bob, and then we're, we're going to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, show your best to God. I love that. That's great. Um, let's see. For the sake of, I think we've sort of touched the point in this in the second midrash I wanted to bring. So let's let's jump to Bereshit Rabbah. I have different page numbers than you, so it, it's the one that says thirty nine nine at the top here. So Rabbi Yochanan here answers. Uh, I mean, answers asks a question. Rarely do we get answers. We get more questions than answers. And Rabbi Yochanan said, Go you from your land, from your district, and from your birthplace. This means your neighborhood. And from your father's house, this means from your father's household. And then he asked the question, Why did he not just reveal his destination to him? And he, then he answers himself and he says, It was, was to make it more endearing to him and to give him a reward for each and every stride. Now let's jump down to the next bolded part in the English. As Rav Khuna said, in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, son of Ra- Rabbi Yosei HaGalili, the Holy One, blessed be he, withhold information at first and keeps the eyes of the righteous directed towards him. And only then does he reveal to them the particulars of the matter. So to the land that I will show you, upon one of the mountains that I will say to you, 
uh, proclaim the proclamation that I speak to you. So he's, he's quoting Yonah, a very interesting and doubtful character, right? And go out to the valley and I will speak to you there. Yechezkel, also famous for his, his visions, right? And his sort of faith in those visions. So he's being asked to go on this journey and uh, Midrash is saying like, because, well, that's, you want to know all the answers? Well, that's just not how God works. God doesn't work on, on your time, right? God works on God's time, whatever that means. Um, any reactions to that? Any reactions to that idea? That's great. So we're saying, Paul is saying thank you, that, that um, this knowledge can't just be given to anybody, right? And sort of using the example of a, a textbook that just seems so dense. You're like, why couldn't this be written clear? It's like, well, you got you to gotta earn it. You got to go through it. Yeah, Irv, go ahead. <laughs> I love that. So, so if I could just pull a kernel out of that, saying like, you know, just go out and try, go do something. You may actually not, you may not know how someone may react to you, and like that is kind of life, right? It's you kind of have to throw things against the wall until they stick. Um, and I think that actually trans- transitions us well to sort of the close to the conclusion of of the shore. Um And I want to take us, I want to take us back, or actually maybe forward now that we're in the new new year to Purim, right? Um, on Purim, we're called to make this olam hafuch, this upside-down world, right? That's why we dress in the costumes. That's why a lot of a lot of shuls will just play with all kinds of nusach in their davening. It was really beautiful last year at the conservative yeshiva in Jerusalem. All of the rabbinical students and lishma students came together and just did all every kind of nusach, and it just kept us on our toes and excited, and it really brought this, like, childlike excitement about what was coming next, which was really beautiful. Um, but then there is sort of the flip side to the Lam Hafuch, right? Because in the story of Esther, it's, it's very much that the Jewish future is at stake and in question. Um, and, you know, that's how a lot of this present moment feels. Um, and I just wanted to, if I have a couple uh, except from the from Megillah, from a second Megillah, which you can you can read afterward if you'd like. But I'd like to just take us down to our um, verse here from Esther in the bold, which gets quoted a lot, and I just want to read it now. I'll read it in the Hebrew first, and then in, in the English. And who knows? Perhaps you have attained to a royal position for just this crisis. Here's another story of another biblical character, Esther, who is asked to do this almost impossible task, right? And doesn't know what the future holds, doesn't know what the outcome is, but she is an individual with a lot of power. And it said, it said to her, you know, like, maybe this is why this is happening. You know, maybe this is your, maybe you're supposed to do something right now. And like, so I just want to conclude with saying that sometimes we're asked to do things, not knowing the outcome, but we've got to, put one foot in front of the other, kind of like Irv is saying here. You have to take steps um, because it's through speech, it's through movement, and it's through action that we can bring holiness, healing, and change into the world. And But what, what this doesn't mean, I just want to be very clear, is that that if the idea of there is a reason for everything as a theology, you know, if that doesn't work for you, I'm not saying that we should take that on. I wouldn't want somebody to leave the space thinking like, well, you know, you know, the rabbinic intern, Rav Nico, said, like, there's a reason for all the bad things that happen in the world. I'm really not sure I, I believe that. I think that's beyond what I can, if he's speaking from my own personal theology, what I can know. Um, 
And I think that's very central to both of these moments, right? It's like, it's actually beyond our knowing, you know? So thinking of each and every step as the Midrash saying, sort of like giving a reward to Abraham for what he was doing, Abraham for what he was doing. I think that's what we need to continue to do, right? To continue to put one foot in front of the other, you know, send one text, make one call, make one donation, write one letter to a, to a IDF soldier. And step by step and action by action, we can spread this sort of holiness that movement has imbued us with from the very beginning of our story as a particular people, which we're moving into in Parsha Lech Lecha, to this sort of broad world that we're just moving out of from Parsha Noach, which, you know, the truth is we're inhabiting both of those at the same time. So in this moment, I just want to say that I think that right now we're, we're, we're called to walk each other through this, right? To take breaks, to give energy when we have it, which is very important, and also identify when we don't have the energy to give, right? Because the world isn't on just one person's shoulders. It's the, it's a collective effort. It's a collective burden, really. Um, and if we have that mind of the collect, if we have that idea in mind of the collective, we can we can better bear this weight that we're all currently feeling right now, knowing that we're we're really in it together. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.